Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you this morning. I got to tell you, there's nothing more intimidating than preaching to your own pastor. So if I seem nervous, if I say anything, you can take it up with Colin for being here today on sabbatical. That's, that's what he gets for being here, right? <laughs> well, happy Father's Day. Fathers, I want you to know, first and foremost, you are special and you are important. Amen. Uh, I just recently learned why there are no sales or, or deals on Father's Day. Uh, it's because fathers are priceless. Amen. Well, it really is great to be here with you this morning um, and just worship the Lord with one another as we continue our one another series in scripture. Uh, you know, I was, I was given probably the, the most difficult, challenging text uh, of, of all the summer preachers here. So I think it's because I'm a New Yorker. Okay. I, I think that's why I'm not sure. But with that said, I'm going to ask that you just bow your heads with me and just pray. And I'm just going to ask the Lord to to, to just bless my tongue and guide me this morning as we, we dig deep into Jesus' teaching here this morning. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the prayers that have been before in the scripture readings and in the worship, Lord. Father, I pray right now with this congregation that you would bless my tongue, Lord. Father, that you would speak through me, that you would use this message, Lord. Jesus, we are looking at your teaching that you gave your disciples this morning. I pray that you convict the hearts that need it. Lord, that you challenge those who need it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So the passage that we are looking at this morning is one of our one another statements, or each other, depending on your translation. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. But before you get to there, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1. I just want to take you on a a little journey to help set the the stage for the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. Going to kind of get two sermons here in one this morning. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, the, The first part, we're going to look at the authority of Scripture, the importance of of God's Word, Okay. And the second part is going to be a challenge that the Lord has given us. So if you're in Mark, looking at chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And this is what he says. He says in verse 14, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. These are very direct statements from Jesus. He does not say the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Tell them they are loved. Nor does he say the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, but it's okay, you're a sinner, I'm going to do great things for you. Of course we know that he does, but what I want you to notice is how Jesus, how he speaks, how he teaches, how he preaches with authority, okay? In fact, if you move down just a couple of verses to verse 21, we read about Jesus reaching Capernaum. It says, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Verse 22 tells us they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. And if you read further, verses 23 through 29, we witness this account of 
a man who enters the synagogue where Jesus is teaching, he's with what scripture calls has, he has an unclean spirit, right? And he begins yelling at Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily respond to the man per se, but he does respond to the demon, or to the unclean spirit within, demanding be silent and come out of him. Again, very direct with authority. Now, as we read out, we see this man, he goes into convulsions, the unclean spirit leaves him. And as miraculous as that was, and I don't want to take away from that either, but we should hear the response of those who were there. So if you look at verse 27, it tells us they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. The question there is not, is not that it's authority or the, or the teaching. The question is, what is this? This was brand new to them. They had never seen or heard anything like that. But church, this was roughly 2,000 years ago. We don't have that excuse anymore. We have the teachings. We study these teachings. We dive deep into these very teachings, and that's exactly what we are doing this morning. I want you to notice that Jesus always spoke with authority. He always taught with authority. He always preached with authority. This is our authority. Amen. In fact, we just read 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 this morning, and we heard Pastor Mike touch on it last week as well. It tells us that Scripture is God-breathed. This is God's Word for us. It has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is therefore... Because it has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, because it is God-breathed scripture, it is therefore profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God, you and me, male and female, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is the very scripture that teaches you and I on how to live a life for Christ, which means, again, that scripture is our authority. These very words and stories have been preserved for you and me to read, to study, and to emulate. It teaches us how to live a righteous life for God. And because of that, we should follow them, right? So that's setting the stage for the text that we're getting into this morning. If you want to now flip, turn, scroll, whatever you're doing, to chapter 9 in, in the Gospel of Mark. And while you're turning there, again, just remember that this is, these are Jesus' words. This is a, a teaching from Jesus. Okay, This is his authority, our authority. So if you're in Mark chapter 9 and you're looking at verses 49 and 50, you're probably thinking, oh, that's very nice. Have, have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. Got it. Yes. But what we need to recognize is that this is the very end of a whole teaching that Jesus just gave his disciples. And by extension, he's giving it to us as believers reading his holy word. Do you agree with that? So because of that, 
we're going to back it up a little bit and, and go to the beginning of that teaching of verse 30. Now, fortunately for you, I am not a great book reader, so I'm not going to make you suffer me reading through 20 verses, okay? Uh, so I do encourage you to read along. I'm going to paraphrase and summarize just providing that context for us, starting in verses 30 and 32, okay? We're told that we, we're reading that Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Caesarea Philippi to Jerusalem. This is where, in just a short few months, Jesus will be arrested and crucified. And he just turns to his disciples, I don't know if it was casually or what, but he just lays this truth bomb on them. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. The disciples did not understand this statement. It, it tells us so right there in verse 32. Not only did they not understand, it says that they were afraid to ask. We don't know why. Maybe they thought they'd be told to depart for their unbelief. Uh, maybe they didn't understand how close the timing was that this was going to happen. Maybe they, wh- whatever. We, we don't know. But what we do know is that they did not understand the statement and that they were afraid to ask. Now, eventually, in verses 33 and 34, moving along here, they reach Capernaum. And they enter a house, and, and Jesus begins questioning the disciples, saying, Hey, what were you guys talking about? But the disciples, they, they kept quiet. Now, we're told that they were discussing among themselves who the better disciple was. And Jesus knew what they were talking about, but they didn't know that Jesus knew, right? Right? And so Jesus' response in verse 35 tells them, he says, Hey, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. See, discussing among themselves who the better disciple was, if it was a a bickering or a boasting or or whatever it was, we don't know. But clearly, the ending of the teaching is have salt and be at peace with one another. Clearly, they were not at peace with one another. So, This is where Jesus begins to challenge his disciples. And again, by extension, I believe this is a challenge to us as believers reading his holy word. I'm going to be honest, this is some really heavy stuff uh, we're getting into this morning. Some of you probably already know the direction we're going. Uh, But this is, again, the word of the Lord, and this is a teaching from Jesus directly. So as we just read the disciples, they were arguing amongst themselves who the better disciple was. And Jesus takes this as a, as a teaching moment, right? He sees it as a teaching moment. He says, if any of you would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. You want to discuss who's better, make yourself last. Put everyone before you. Be the servant. Serve all of them. Be at peace with one another. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 36 In this house, Jesus picks up a child in his arms, and he says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, having all the scriptures today, I think you and I can follow this theology with no problem, but they didn't have it. The New Testament is actively happening before their very eyes, so they are literally learning this as they go. So John, being confused, verse 38 says, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. 
For the one who, does, who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Amen. He continues with this child still in his arms and he says, verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, one within the Holy Trinity, the man whom you and I believe died on the cross for our sins, in three days' time rose from the grave, defeating death, who bore the sins of the world, the wrath of God on his very own body, who never once sinned, said that it would be better for you and I to have a millstone hung around our necks and be drowned alive, essentially, in the sea than to cause a fellow believer to stumble. I don't know about you, but that's pretty terrifying to me, Okay. Reading that, I cannot ignore some of the, the things that I have personally experienced uh, that I think is very common in our society. And I just want to really quickly, briefly touch on those and get back to our text. But as a man myself, as a man who's been in men's ministries in many different states for many different years, uh, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, the number one sin issue that men face today is lust. It's lust. And the the question I have for the women is, and men, you're not off the hook for this either. It goes both ways. But women, when you are getting dressed in the morning, are you getting dressed to please and honor the Lord? When you're purchasing clothes, is is it a way to please the Lord or are you purchasing something because it makes you look cute, catching an eye? That's a stumbling block. I have... Personally, nothing against alcohol, but when we invite people into our homes, are we asking if they have a struggle with it so we're not a stumbling block? Are we making sure it's put away so it's not out in the open to be a stumbling block? This is a true story. When we were in uh, North Carolina, our church had a phenomenal marriage ministry. About every six months or so, uh, we would have a family game night. Now, you're talking three, 400 people would come out to these things, these events, and uh, talk about propaganda. It was being advertised everywhere. It was going out in text messages, emails. Uh, it was on the church app. It was posters everywhere, QR codes to scan and sign up at your leisure. It was everywhere. And we actually had someone reach out to the church and say, hey, I'm a recovering gambling addict, and seeing these pictures of cards is a real trigger for me. In that sense, the church was literally being a stumbling block for this individual, and he had to back himself away. Another very common area that's very easy for us, I think we do it without even thinking about it, and this has nothing to do with DBC, this is everywhere that I've seen personally. Uh, when we have church breakfasts and dinners, you know, we hear a lot of people saying, oh, I'm trying to cut back on sugar, I'm trying to eat healthier, Right, gluttony is a sin. It's listed in the in the scriptures as a sin. We're having these breakfasts and dinners. Are we providing five eight foot tables full of pies and cookies and fudge 
uh, or are we providing some healthier options as to not be a stumbling block? These are just some things that we should be thinking about because the call here, it's, it's real. Now, beyond that very blatant and direct teaching from Jesus, I do believe there are two other lessons for us to unmask in this passage. And the first one is about belief, having faith. Have you ever noticed the faith of a child? Children have unbelievable faith, don't they? Unbelievable. You know, Jesus picks up this precious innocent, faithful, believing child, and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin or to stumble, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Having the child, I'm sure there's, there's two, two ways of looking at that. One is the literal sense of a child that has faith. They believe like no other. But the other sense is a spiritual faith, right? You are born again as a Christian. You, you start off as a, as a baby Christian, so to speak. You're a child in the faith and you are growing. You are maturing in the faith. That's, that serves twofold there. But going back to the children, you know, I think we can look at the boogeyman, right? I don't know what it is about children. It seems like every child goes through this phase of thinking there's a a monster in the closet or under their bed. And as a dad, I'm like whipping my arms through the closet, kicking under the bed. I've crawled under the bed. Like there's nothing here. It's okay. But they believe. That's faith. Believing in the unseen. I ask you this morning, where is your faith? Do you believe like a child believes? A belief in something trumps the unbelief of anything. I truly believe that. And I came up with that myself. Thank you very much. Now, if you struggle in your faith, if you struggle with believing, if you have questions in general about the Christian faith, please come talk to us at the end of the service. We, we, we will have people available for that. We don't want that to, to go unchecked. Amen. The second lesson that we can unmask in this teaching of Jesus are his words. Not just here, but all throughout Scripture, how they reflect his radical love for us while setting the bar for the love that you and I should have for one another. A theology and Christology teaches us that the Spirit of the Lord lives within the believer. Do you agree with that? Then how we treat one another is ultimately how we are treating Jesus. Jesus has called us in authority, with authority, to be the salt, to be at peace, to be united with one another. And I personally am willing to go as far to say that it causes our Heavenly Father great sorrow to see His people in disunity and at odds with one another. So much so that He gave this teaching to Jesus for His disciples, and again, by extension, to us as believers reading His holy, authoritative word. 
And again, he doesn't stop there, right? From verse 30 all the way down to 50, Jesus is just laying this down on the disciples. Really, really hard stuff, okay? Uh, So we're going to take a look now at verses 43 through 48. But before we do that, I feel it is absolutely necessary to have a little sidebar here, okay? Because what I don't want you to happen is we're reading through this together and then you zone out because you think there's something wrong with your Bible, okay? Some of your Bibles may not have verses 44 and 46. They might be totally gone. Maybe you've never known this before. Maybe you've studied this before. I don't know. Uh, but I feel it's, it's essential that we cover this really quickly. So verse 48, Jesus, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There's a lot of debate whether or not Jesus said that three times in verses 44, 46, and 48. Um, Because of that, some translations take it out. Okay? So if if you have that translation, don't freak. Don't think there's a printing error. It was by design. Okay? I'm going to include it because I believe that the Lord said it and he repeated it to emphasize the importance of hell. And we should not let that be ignored nor let it go unchecked. So starting at verse 43, Jesus, again, these are the words of of our Lord and Savior. He says, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Church, we should never take sin lightly. There is nothing light about being told by Jesus Christ himself that it's better to have a boulder wrapped around our necks and be thrown into the sea to drown alive than to cause a fellow believer to stumble. There was nothing light about being told by Jesus himself that it would be better to cut off a limb or gouge out an eyeball than to enter heaven or be thrown into hell with all of our body parts intact. They might be wondering if I take this literally or not. Uh, No. I, I do not believe that the Lord is saying if you struggle with lust, uh, that he is telling you to literally gouge out your eyeball. No, I, I think he's explaining to us the importance of sin, right? That sin leads to a very, very nasty spiritual death. To the pit of hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, to quote him. These are the very words of Jesus that have been preserved and passed down for generations and thousands of years for us. It is described as a life of torment, of weeping, of the gnashing of teeth, and it's known as the lake of fire. As hard as that is, and trust me, it's hard to deliver this, um, There is good news. Amen? Amen to that, right? There is good news, and that's what I want you to hear this morning. The good news, church, is that by putting your faith, your trust, 
in Jesus Christ, He can save you. He will save you from the eternal life of torment, of the weeping, of the gnashing of teeth, of the lake of fire. But it's a package deal, right? We cannot believe that Jesus was a prophet, but not the Son of Man. We cannot believe that Jesus was resurrected, but he was a biological child of Mary and Joseph. It's a package deal. We have to believe in the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to it. And in John 11:25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He ends his teaching in verse 49 and 50, saying, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Matthew 5.13, Jesus says also, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We don't want you to be saltless. We want you to be full of salt, despite what your doctor may tell you. Okay? Now, Jesus had the authority, still does, obviously, but he had the authority to say and demand literally anything. And the fact that this teaching is what he left us with is something that we should be taking very, very seriously. Have salt in yourselves. Be the preservative of God's word. Walk out your faith, not alone, but with one another. And be the salt in each other's lives, as we have been called to be the salt of the earth. I believe that we have been given this this gift. We've been entrusted with the sacred duty and honor of speaking his truth, of teaching his truth, of preaching his truth, of living his truth in all under his authority. And we've been called to do so with one another. Now, if any of you are wondering where to start, well, the first step, I believe, is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to have faith like a child. And the second step, I believe, is getting connected in the church. That could be done through ministry, through life group, through getting paired with a disciple. In fact, uh, Jeremy and Mindy Mayhew will be at the Connect desk. They're ready to receive every single person here. Uh, so you choose, okay? Ask them, how, how can I get connected? How can I get paired up with a disciple? How can I join a life group? How can I... How can I minister or be ministered to you? Whatever. They're, they're there and they're ready for you. Now I'll say that every single person in this church, including myself, struggles with some form of sin. We all do. The question I have for you this morning is, what are you going to do about it? Jesus is very direct. And he tells us with authority to have salt in yourselves and be at peace with 
I'm glad you're getting it. Now, we don't take sin lightly here in this church. So if your hand, your foot, your eye is causing you to stumble and you don't want to cut it off or gouge it out, come talk to myself. You can come talk to Pastor Mike. There are deacons and elders. They have little name tags. Talk to someone. We recognize there's nothing that we can do to free you of sin, but Jesus can. Amen? And this is at the the very core of our discipleship culture here at Durwood Bible Church. We want every single person here to have a person in their life with whom they can walk their spiritual journey with, sharing those struggles, sharing those burdens as we heard last week. Because we are called to be with one another. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you feel challenged or convicted to finally say, you know what, I'm ready to invest in someone's life. If that's you, talk to one of our deacons or elders or, or the Mayhews at the Connect desk and say, I'm ready to invest in someone's life. To wrap it all up together, okay, in the beginning of the text, we saw these disciples of Jesus who were following him, walking with him, discussing among themselves who the better disciple was. They were not at peace with one another. They were not having the salt in each other's lives. But in love, Jesus confronted them. He spoke to them with authority. He taught them how to be at peace with one another, saying, first have salt in yourselves. This is not a suggestion. This is a demand that Jesus has placed over you and me. What this does not look like is discussing amongst ourselves who the better preacher is over the summer here or who the better ministry leader is or who the better Sunday school teacher is. Okay, What having salt in yourselves and being at peace with one another does look like is encouraging those who are filling in the pulpit over the summer so that our pastor can have a break is thanking the worship team for their their practices and their dedication every single week. Showing appreciation to our amazing AV team who consistently come together, putting all this together so that people can come and worship the Lord both in person and online. What having salt in yourselves and being at peace with one another looks like is walking with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ even if you have different political views. Maybe you find someone new. Maybe you recognize, you know, I've seen this person around for a long time, but I don't know them. Introduce yourself. Maybe invite them out to lunch. It looks like encouraging those around you and at the same time challenging fellow believers so they're not living a spiritually complacent life. It looks like going to someone you trust, sharing those challenges in your very life, telling them that you want to walk with one another, you're ready. And when someone comes to you and and does share that, it looks like receiving them. It looks like being like Jesus and taking this as a teaching moment as he did with his disciples 
instead of ignoring them or judging them or punting them off to someone else. Take the opportunity to be the salt in their life. Again, this is a very hard message uh, to preach to you this morning, and I, I really pray that it has not fallen on deaf ears this morning, but instead that we have been encouraged, that we have been challenged and convicted to be the salt of the earth, to be at peace with one another, to have salt in ourselves. I pray that every single person here this morning, in person and online, has heard the full gospel in its entirety. I pray that people this morning take that first step. They, they say, you know what? I struggle with pornography. I struggle with lust. I struggle with greed, idolatry, malice, rage, anger, foul language, whatever. I pray that people take that step today and say, no longer am I walking this alone. I can't do it. Because we are called to walk with one another. Please bow your heads with me. Lord, we looked at your teaching this morning. Father, I pray that the message this morning, your teaching that you gave us, has been received. It was a hard one. It's a dark one. But Lord, these are your words. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, Lord, I want to provide an opportunity for people to raise their hand and say, no longer am I walking alone. Church, with your eyes closed still, if that is you, please raise your hand and say, no longer am I walking alone. I want to walk with someone. Thank you. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your teaching, your word. Lord, continue to convict our hearts that we follow you, that we draw closer to you, that we recognize that following you is beautiful, it's encouraging, it's, it's amazing. It is hard in the society in which we live in today. But Lord, we are ready for the challenge. We are ready to fight the good fight. We are ready to repent and preach the gospel and believe in the gospel that is your name and your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.